Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Missio Dei. This is the Latin phrase for mission of God, or we could translate it sending of God. I just want to say how grateful I am for what Jesus is doing in our community. And um, this morning, uh, I don't always do it, but this morning I hopped in my truck and I turned on a little Capital City music, a little lean back into the arms, the loving arms of a father, and had just a really beautiful conversation with Jesus as I was driving to the gathering. And I just want to say how grateful I am for how uber-enriched the city of Woodstock, Georgia is. This city has been my city and home now for eight years. I plan for it to be way more than that. And um, I just want us to recognize what God's doing in our community. Cherokee County, fastest-growing metro Atlanta county uh, in that we find in our 5.6 million people. Uh, I was talking to another gentleman this week who was, uh, I was detailing a vehicle for him, and he was just talking about just the expansion and movement of how many neighborhoods are being built. And I know oftentimes people hop on Facebook and they complain about that. We got to get north. Let's get to Jasper. You know what I say? Lord, keep bringing them. Let us get right in the middle of them. And may we share the gospel with them. I just think so much differently. People are wanting to escape. I'm wanting to get in. Um, you know, I think last night, River Ridge High School, the girls team is in the state championship. You want to talk about humans flourishing in this community? Cherokee County High School, 7A will be in a basketball championship this Saturday night. You're talking about theater. You're talking about art. You're talking about Little Hollywood. You're talking about people that come in here to film movies. This is a community in which God, not only humans are flourishing, but as I began to think and just talk to the Lord about my hometown, right? Right here in Woodstock, Georgia. God, there are still so many that do not know your glorious gospel. and They do not know you, King Jesus. And so, Lord, you've established us here in May Lord, you continue to cause us as intercessors to pray that the Lord of the harvest would continue to send laborers right here in our community. Amen? Amen. Anybody love your city? Anybody love your county, Cherokee County? It's a great, good, there's six of you, awesome. Okay, great, excellent, 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 excellent. So some of you are North Cobb County, North, Northern Cobb County, right? I get that. Some of you are in Dallas, Paulding, uh, but this, this area, uh, we're just really grateful for what God is doing. If you want to follow along in today's message, you can do so uh, by finding that digital sermon card online, or you can follow us on Version. You can also take a picture there of the QR code and follow along. Can I say how grateful I am, too, for Grace and, and Thomas for leading one weekend with some of our DP students this weekend, so thank you guys. Uh, yeah, praise God for that. About 10, 10 churches. Knock, stand up real quick. Turn around. Let me count how many churches were a part of that. Turn around. Let me see the back of your shirt. One, 11 churches were a part this weekend of one weekend. And uh, Knox, you want to say something about one weekend? Nope. You, you sure? You sure? I gave you the opportunity. So, um, but yeah, it was awesome to see all those youth ministries come together and to, to be able to not only seek Jesus. Y'all, let me tell y'all something. My son came in while I was putting him to bed last night. She said, Dad, this is what they gave us. This is what the sermon was. He handed me a three-folded pamphlet of an old-school gospel tract. I said, they gave this to you one weekend. He said, this is what the sermon. I was like, yeah, boy. They're going back to the 1970s, man. That's not what happened. I was, they're handing out gospel pamphlets, okay, to teenagers. I mean, it had the bridge and everything. Jesus is the bridge. I mean, it was amazing. So 
praise God for that. It was awesome. I'm really excited about that. So, but again, thank you for those leaders that were able to lead this weekend. I know Reno was a part as well. Let's jump in to the Word of God. Before we do, I want to pray. Lord, as we hear your Word today, what we pray is that you would do a work in and through each one of us because we believe that every time the Word of God is preached and opened, you speak to us. And Lord, we just pray in these moments that we would see Jesus so clearly. And if you're in the room today and you have your Bible open, you have a desire to hear what God says, you believe all things He shows you, and you will by faith put into practice the things that He directs you today. Will you agree with me very loudly this morning by saying the word, Amen. 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 19 men. 19 men you've never met before, never will meet, change the course of the world. The tragedy is, you know who they are and you know what they did because on September 11th, 2001, 19 men between the ages of 21 years of age and 32 years of age. From four different countries, hijacked and boarded four different planes with the intent to cause harm to different people. And if you're old enough to remember what happened on September 11, 2001, you'll remember right where you were, what you were going through, what was going through your mind when different emotions that took place because 19 men joined together with a common mission and their common mission was to destroy humans, to cause evil in the world. Their evil day of 19 combined intents and hearts changed the course of history's travel forever. Every time we go into an airport now with all the security we have, looks very different than what it looked like previous to September 11th. As a matter of fact, the day goes down in infamy so much that if you were alive that, that day, we just now refer to it now as 9-11. We don't say September 11, 2001. And when we say 9-11, still, 20 plus years, evokes all the emotions, all the events, all the circumstances, and all the things that happened on that tragic day. But the reality is that everybody was actually intended to live for mission. It was just 19 men who thought that they could change the way the world thinks just by going after this, and they did. They united their hearts together, and they trained for 10 years. And it was a tragedy. Tragedy. It was a tragedy for them because they ended up in hell instantly. The moment they hit a tower, they ended up in hell. The moment they hit Shanksville in Pennsylvania, they hit and went into hell. It was a tragedy for our world because we saw the Twin Towers go tumbling to the ground. The Pentagon being hit, another plane out in Pennsylvania, and our hearts went off and said, man, what's going on here? What's happening in our nation? But when you have just a few people with an idea that they're committed to, things can really happen. Shifts can really take place. For the good we know, we know Jesus stood on a mountainside in Galilee 2,000 years ago. He had been resurrected. He was spending 40 days on earth before he'd send back to his father. And he said these words on the Mount of Olives. You'll see in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You therefore go and make disciples of all nations, ethnies, groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And a handful of men took that serious. They listened to Jesus' words and they started to live out the gospel, and they took the gospel, and it literally has gone all around the world and reached your life and reached my life. And the reason we're gathered here today on this Sunday morning is because there was a few, it wasn't many, but there was a few that decided to live for the Lord and to do good works. And because of their good works, we're still reaping the benefit of their good works. 
Now listen to me, church. The reality is, whether good or for evil, here's what you need to know in your heart as we kick off Missions March. God created you for mission. Everybody's created for mission. There's something in our heart that knows we were created for something more than ourselves. It's why when we live, we know that we either want to live a legacy. We know that we want to give a contribution. We want to know we want to be known for something. That life is bigger than just us. And so whether we want to do that or be around people that are doing that, because we want to know what? Our life actually counts for something. And I got really good news for you this morning. God knows your life counts. And He wants to use you on a mission for Him that, watch, brings you the greatest joy and satisfaction while simultaneously bringing Him the greatest glory. Now let me just start this series today saying there's a tragedy in our world today that happens to be in the church. And I would like to propose to you it might be a greater tragedy than what happened on 9-11. Here's the tragedy. That the God of the universe, literally the God of the universe who created every single person who has saved people for His glory in the church, refused to live on mission for Him and what God would do or could do, He doesn't do because His people are not stepping forward and living the way God wants them to live. I would suggest to you that's a greater tragedy than 9-11. I would suggest to you the apathy of the Western church is a greater tragedy than an attack on Western values. The church of Jesus Christ not living out the intention that Jesus has. So if you've ever felt in your heart that little thing go off inside of you, and I know you like to silence it sometimes when you get around other Christians that are living in compromise, but I'm talking about that moment when something goes off and says, there's more to life than this. There's got to be something more than that. I know I was created for more. I got a word for you today. God has a word for you today. He's got a word to realign priorities and purpose. God wants you to engage the mission He's given you. And God wants you to know, and He wants you to know how to contribute to His work in such a way that one day you'll meet Jesus and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And not only will you hear those words, but until you hear those words, you can live with joy and satisfaction on the inside knowing that God is doing a work in and through you. So oftentimes at Dwelling Place, we talk about how it starts with our identity in Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about identity. We talk a lot about who we are, who God calls us to be. It's what God does in and through us. Today, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how what God has done in us to then, through us, engage the mission that He has for us. You say, Pastor Craig, how can I know what that is? And then how can I do that? If that's you today, God has a word for you. I encourage you to open to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at one verse. One verse. As we look at verse 10, I'm going to read it to you a couple of times. And then we're going to unpack it. What I want to do is I want to show you four elements. Everybody say four. There's four elements that are essential to living out the mission that God has. They all come from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Now, as we turn to this passage, we're all going to be familiar where, where it's nestled in Scripture. Because we love the Scriptures that come right before this. It's our favorite in the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we love. We just stop before we get to 10. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And the faith is not yourself or from yourself. It is the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. No man or no woman can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. And we love that. And we love that verse because we understand as Christians that we didn't do anything to earn God's favor. God did everything for us. We can't work out our salvation because there's nothing we could do that would make God pleased with us because we realize in our hearts that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we love that verse. And many times we'll quote it, especially in the American churches where the person with faith says, 
you know, comes in and says, no, you got to work hard. you got to be a good person. We say, no, 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 you don't have to. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. So no one should boast. And then we falsely stop there. We falsely quit. We falsely lead astray. And so what people say is, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Works don't matter. Doesn't matter what I do. It matters who I am. But that's why you got to keep reading the verse because Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Did you hear that? It's all about good works. Say it with me. Christianity is all about good works. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't use those good works to get saved, but you can't also say Christianity is not about good works. That's an incomplete gospel. It's an incomplete truth. Christianity is about good works once one has come to know Jesus. Why? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we say it's just about grace. It's all about grace. It's not about works. We miss the entirety of the gospel. Because while you're not saved by your good works, you are definitely saved for good works. For the works that God has called you to live. Your works are the evidence that you've been saved. And if you're truly filled up on the inside by His grace, it's going to result in good works. Good works are important in the life of the believer. It's what God requires for each and every believer. And if we're going to engage His mission, we need to understand how to do that. So let's look at the four elements of this passage. And the first one we have to understand, if we're going to engage the mission, is this. By the way, this is the bedrock one. This is most important. you got to get this in your heart. Here it is. Number one, we belong to God and we are significant to Him. Amen. We belong to God and we are significant to Him. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are valuable to Him. The Bible says, for we are His workmanship. We are. We belong to God and we are significant to Him. If you don't get that foundational point right, what you're going to do is you're going to try to find your significance somewhere else. And let me just save you a lot of time. You will never find satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. You will never find satisfaction apart from a heart, true longing, sustaining lifelong passion and, and sustenance and, uh, and, and, and value and meaning and contentment and satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. Well, no, 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 Pastor Craig, I'm going to get the right job one day. And someday when I have the right job, I'll have full satisfaction no, you won't, I promise you. Well, one day when I'm dating the right person and I get married to the right person and I get to have sex with the right person, then I'm going to have full satisfaction 100% of the time. Let me just tell you, no, you won't. No, one day when I just make enough money, I make enough money and I have all the money I need and all my needs are filled, then I'll feel total satisfaction. No, no, no matter what you put your faith and trust in other than Jesus Christ, if you don't know and realize you belong to him and are significant to him, you'll try to latch on to someone or something or some group of people that you belong to and find your significance there. And I'm telling you this morning, it just won't work. Man, we can talk a lot, a lot of examples about this. We can talk about why gangs are formed in America. We can talk about why people dress up in orange, or excuse me, I would dress up in orange, but you people dress up in red and black every Saturday in the fall, and you travel about 60 miles southeast of here, and you scream wildly because people want to find a place to belong. 
They were out on my street last night till 2.30 in the morning. About 35 people in my street, can jam, fires, bonfires, drinking it up, partying, all my neighbors. They want to find a sense of belonging. People want to connect to somebody else. They want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. People are trying to cope through life in any way they can cope. And let me just tell you, I want to be a part of that team is a part of what it means to be a human. I want to be a part of this culture. People are looking for groups of people to welcome me. So let me just say it again. You are significant and you belong to God. All right. Since six of you understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to say it again. All right. The God of the universe is saying, you matter to me, you belong to me, you are significant to me. There's no greater word that I could tell you this morning than that truth. It's not this that just God's looking down from heaven saying, okay, yeah, you're a good person. You know, I like you some. No, you belong to him and you're significant to him. And why is that important? Because if you understand your true identity, you'll live differently. You'll live differently. I think of the story of the prodigal son and father. We're all familiar with the story of Luke 15, the prodigal son. Been in church for a while. The younger son goes out and squanders all of his dad's money. He lives a wild lifestyle, comes back to his dad. Jesus tells us, this is what the father's like. The father's like the father. Well, what's he like when he gets back? When the son comes back to the dad, the dad doesn't wait for the son. The dad sprints to the son, which is undignified for a father to do in the first century. He girded up his loins and took off sprinting. And and then instead of waiting for his son to talk about how bad he was, the father did what? The father didn't stand there and look over him and shame him and give him words. What does the father do? He embraces him, he hugs him, and he kisses him. He doesn't even give him words. He just embraces him. This son that squandered everything, everything the dad ever had, who's been living in a pig pen, the father welcomes him home. And as the son is going through a rehearsed speech trying to say, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me like one of your hired slaves. What does the dad do? He's not even listening. He he refuses to even listen to the rehearsed speech. He just embraces the son and kisses the son and hugs the son. And he calls his servants and says, quick, bring some of the best robe and put it on because my son needs to know he's in my house. He has a place of honor because he belongs to me. Put a ring on his finger so that everybody sees he has a signet ring and he belongs to our family. Put sandals on his feet, not like a slave. He's my son. And then let's find a a fattened calf and celebrate for this son of mine was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he is alive. So to begin to have this party, what was he saying? He was saying, son, you have significance. He was saying, son, you belong to me. It doesn't matter what you did. It matters who I am. It doesn't matter what you did. It matters who Jesus is. It doesn't matter if you run from his love because you can't stop his love because his love's not based on who you are, what you've done, or what you haven't done. It's based on who he is. And God loves us and nothing will ever change that. Nothing. This is our God. If we're going to live on mission, we have to start there. If we live our mission, we have to start from the inside out. Listen to me. If you study the scriptures, just study the person of Jesus, and what does he talk about more than anything else? His dad. Who does he want to be with more than anybody else in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? His dad. Early on in his ministry, we find him sneaking off in solitary places where he talks to his dad. After he feeds the 5,000, he sends the disciples over in the water. He goes up on a mountainside. What does he do? Talk to his dad. What's the garden of Gethsemane? What's he doing? He's spending time with his dad. He's praying with his dad. He wants to be around his dad. Why? Because he knows how significant he is to his dad. 
and how he belongs to his dad. You remember Jesus' baptism. He comes up out of the water. What does the father say? This is my son whom I love, and in him I am what? Well, please, look at me, church. Jesus' public ministry doesn't begin with him receiving principles of leadership. He is, he is launched into ministry receiving a word of blessing proclaimed over him by his Father. Amen. And it's because of that he was able to face great difficulty and rejection because his identity was wrapped up in being the beloved. Amen. You won't make it in God's mission without starting with that identity. Folks, you will not make it. God says to him, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I love him. I'm pleased in him. He's got significance. You should listen to him. We see the same words at the transfiguration of Jesus when Peter, James, and John are on the mountainside and the Father speaks these words. And when the Father speaks those words, this is my paraphrase, it's almost like Jesus looking at Peter, James, and John and saying, listen to me, boys. Listen to me. These words are for you, not me. I already know that. I already know who I am to my dad. He's already told me he's well pleased with me. When you walk around with your identity set right, you'll live differently. Many people in the body of Christ, listen, have truly been saved, walk around as if they're no good nobodies. They walk around like they'll never make anything happen, like they aren't really those good kind of Christians. They can't do anything. They're not gifted. They're still in sin. And what happens is when we become believers, nobody has a perfect trajectory of sinlessness post coming to Christ. So what the enemy does is while we're going through transformation, he comes and lies to us and says, remember this, remember that, you remember what you did here? God may still like you, but he doesn't love you, and he's not proud of you, and he can't use you anymore because of what you've done. In a way, he can use you in that person's life. Look, you, you look at what you continue to do. Friends, let me just tell you something this morning. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God can redeem and use anybody, even Christians who've fallen into sin, who he can redeem and still continue to use. God designed you for mission. You belong to Him. Now notice what the text says. Remember it? For we are His workmanship. Everybody say we. Now I'm going to show you something in the text that is invisible to your eyes and is invisible to most people's eyes in North America. They were invisible to my eyes for a long time. When you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God that no one should boast. Do you know what you is there? Not second person singular. It is second person plural. Did you know this? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is not you have been saved by grace. It's y'all have been saved by grace. Did you know this? In fact, 95% of the yous you see in the New Testament out of those 27 books are not you singular. They're you plural. Every time in the New Testament, it is by grace, you all have been saved through faith. It's not you all's doing. It is what? The gift of God so that none of you all should boast. He's talking about plural, what God does in salvation for every single person. And then notice what the second verse of verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship. We are his. Does it say you're his workmanship? Does it say you are his workmanship? How have you heard it preached your whole life in, in Christianity here in the West? You are his workmanship? No, you're not. You all are his workmanship. Now, does that have implications for you individually? Of course it does, but we can't get there yet. For we are his workmanship. Not you are his workmanship. Not I am his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We tend to what? We tend to read this individually and think that the gospel is about us. God saved me to do good works for God. No, we collectively. Why? Because God gets more done in community than he ever does through any individual. 
God gets done more done through a group of individuals than one individual. So we are his workmanship. We are his. Say it with me. We are his. Come on, say it like you mean it. We are his. Say it again like you believe it. We are his. God's talking to us. Well, who's us? Well, Paul's writing to the church. Why is he writing to the church? Because the church is the one vehicle where we're called to participate in no matter where we are in our life. To be a Christian and not serving in a local church is not understood in the New Testament. It's not understood. There is no such thing as being a Christian and not serving in his local church or as his church. If you're a Christian, we are his what? Workmanship. Now, when you hear that word workmanship, some of you are like, man, I don't even, I can't fix anything in my house. I can't fix anything. This doesn't mean like I'm God's toolbox or something. Workmanship is the word poema. Would you say that with me? Say poema. Poema means masterpiece. When God created you, that's how he sees you, his masterpiece. When you study the book of Genesis, we walk through the creation story. At the end of every day, what does God say? That's good. That's good because when God creates, God doesn't make junk. God only creates what's good. When God created you, he said, that's good. You're my masterpiece. I mean, every person that God creates is his masterpiece. There's never been a time and God's created a human being who, by the way, are created in his image and God has created and gone, oops, never happened. And what the enemy wants you to think, listen to me, young people, who get you asked questions like this, why do I look like this? Why is my body shaped like this? Why am I like this? Why don't I have hair on my head like them? I notice that I don't have hair up here, but why do they have hair? How come I don't have the gifts that they have? What's wrong with me? How come I'm not good at this? How come I'm not good? You are his masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. That's why he created you in his image. That's why when we talk in church about abortion being sin, listen to me, friends, listen to me. It's not just, hey, the you that you've had an abortion, you're a sinner, you're a murderer. Folks, that's not what it is at all. It's this, that the life God created on the inside of you is a life that he's destined for purpose. So don't stop the masterpiece of God because every single life matters. So now the people outside the church want to try to turn it on the people in the church that we're speaking against abortion like we're speaking against the people who had abortion. We're not speaking against the people who had abortion. We're speaking that we don't stop the life that God creates in us because that's his masterpiece. We don't stop that. We don't terminate that. We don't end that. It's his masterpiece. Listen to me. If you've had an abortion, maybe out of naivety, maybe out of stress, maybe for some other reason. Let me tell you something about you as well this morning. You still matter to God. You still belong to God. You're still significant to God, and He forgives you and can redeem you to the uttermost. We don't carry the weight of our sin. Jesus Christ did that. We are loved. When I stand at the end of this, this gathering, I almost do it every Sunday, and I say, you are loved. You are loved. God loves you. It's not because it's a clever thing for a pastor to say. It's not because we just want to put it on the wall somewhere. It's God's heart for God's people. Everybody God creates, He loves. His desire that all would come to know Him. So even if you're far away from God as you possibly could be this morning, even if you're sinning what you consider to be the most grievous sins, I have good news for you. God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die on a cross for all of your sin. He loves you. And for those of us in this room who've repented and put faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, listen to me, he has a special love for you. Which means, listen to me, no matter what you ever do, God can't love you any more than he does right now. 
We got in the car last night after picking up Knox, and we had a great conversation heading down to Carrollton. And telling Knox, Knox, no matter what you ever do, the, fed, the, the bedrock foundation of your life is mom and dad love you. You can do whatever you want. You can get in the worst trouble you ever want to get in, son. I pray it never happens, but we will never stop loving you. And yet at the end of the day, you need to hear, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so grateful for what God's doing in your life. But on top of that, God loves my son a billion times more than his mom and dad will ever do. You've got to get to a place in your identity where you know God can never love you any less than he loves you right now. He has infinite love for you. And sometimes people say, oh, I understand that theologically, Pastor Craig. I've read Romans 8. No, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you this morning, have you ever got it out of your head into your heart where you begin to walk around and say, I know who my daddy is and I know how he feels about me. I exist because God wanted to have one of me. I am, I am cherished and valued by God. Listen, folks, Missions March starts with a baseline of intimacy with God and your identity being found in Him. And I want to say it, your identity and intimacy always must precede your activity. Your identity and intimacy, oftentimes in church, we'll talk about needs we have in the church and we'll say, you got to, church, you got to serve. We need help with the kids. We need help with youth. We need help with the men. We need help with women. We need help, 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 help. Can I tell you something? We're always going to need help. That's not why you serve. If you're serving right now because the church needs help, if you begin to do a bunch of outside activity, but your heart isn't rightly related to God, you will burn out or wear out. And so it's just best that you not serve. What? Until you get to a place where your heart is right, you'll burn out or wear out. You, if your reason for serving is because somebody needs help, it's not a good enough reason. It's got to be God desires intimacy. God wants you to walk around saying, did you know how special you are to me? That you're my masterpiece? That we are together God's masterpiece? And he's doing incredible things in and through us. That's the perspective God wants us to have. And this is so important for me because prior to being a, a church planner, God used me a lot of context being an evangelist. And, and still serving as an evangelist. And then I love sharing the work of the gospel with people that don't know Christ. So what I often did was very similar to what we've done in large outreach events where we preach the gospel, people would stream forward. My wife hasn't traveled as much as me, but in the season previous to planning, I traveled the whole world a lot. Sometimes there were five people that get saved. Sometimes there were 40 people that get saved. I remember one time I was in Manila, Philippines. I never, never had it happen in my life before then and since then, but I asked for salvation and there were thousands, thousands that that stood up and got saved. And by the way, it never gets old, just so you know that. People come into no dwelling place, uh, Jesus Christ at Dwelling Place Church, it never gets old. But what began to pain my heart, even as a young boy, is I would see all these people coming forward to give their, God, their heart to God. And I'd be like, God, they're significant to you and they matter to you and they're special to you and they're gifted by you. And they have a purpose. And I would ask the leaders, what are we doing with these people? What are you guys doing with these people? And I started on my hand thinking, you know what? Where would I send them? Like what churches are actually gonna build them up? I can't find churches that will disciple anybody. I can't find churches that want to even learn. They want to grow in maturity in Christ's likeness. Where's worship taking place? Where's the word being preached? Where's prayer essential? Where's evangelism happening? Where's growth? Who's going to turn these people loose? And I couldn't find places. And you know what it did? It pained my heart so much. And I was praying to the Lord one day. I'll never forget it. Lord, the Lord said to me, Craig, are you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to complain? And that was the process of me saying, God, could we be a part of a church planning movement? 
Could we actually launch churches that would do something with people that want Jesus? They want to grow. And where, listen to me, listen to me. The Lord knows this morning, wherever you are in your walk, there's more. There's more intimacy. There's more identity. There's more victory. There's more faith you can have. And if the only thing you take away from this message and apply to your life, if you live your life knowing you belong to God and a significant God, you will live different because we are His workmanship. Number two, not only do we belong to God and are significant to Him, but watch this, we were created by God for His good purpose. Notice what he says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and what? Behold, the new comes. What's the mystery of the gospel, DP? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the mystery of the gospel? God lives in you. When you trust Christ, Jesus comes to live on the inside of you. Now, let me tell you something. I've told you once before, but let me repeat it. When the God of the universe comes to live on the inside of you, he doesn't come to be resident. He comes to be president. Okay? When, the, when the spirit of the living God comes into you, when Jesus is formed in you by work of his, the work of his spirit, he comes in to be president. He doesn't just come in there to sit so you can be a Christian couch potato and look around and figure out what's going on. He came in your life to take over so that he can live the fullness of his life through you. That's what God wants for you. You were created for good works. And the works that God wants to do in you are the ones that he's going to live in and through you. And the more intimate you are with Jesus, the more God wants to do in your life. The more you intimate you grow in your identity, the more God will use your life. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment about God's creation. When God created the universe, or the earth, I should say, he created it unique. Look at Isaiah 45, 18. It says he created in such a way that the earth would be populated by the crown of his creation, which are human beings. He formed it to be inhabited. Do you see this? That's why he made the earth. He didn't make the earth for any other reason other than to be inhabited. It's a display of his glory for people to live there. Now, what does that mean? No other planet could ever do that. I'm a science nerd. Regardless of whatever discovery channel you read, there is no one greater than the creation of the human beings made in the image of God. Animals are not important like us. Oh, they're important, but they're not valuable like us. They're not cherished like us. They're not the crown of his creation like us. No one. He created the earth unique. And that's why it says in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. It did not say God created the heavens and Mars, did it? It did not say God created the heavens and the galaxies, did it? Because earth is special. Earth is to be made by God, to be inhabited by God's people. That's the, that's the purpose of earth. God created it. When we are created in the image of God, we're image bearers of the king. That means every life that has been formed has significance and meaning and purpose. Every human being you see at work, even people that are living apart from God and, and are evil, they were designed for good. Did you know you're, the evil people in your life, they were designed for good too? They were designed by God for his purpose, even if they're not living it out. And so when God created you, he created you as people who are unique for good works. Now you think about anything that was created, okay? Let's take a car. Let's take a car is created for you to get behind the wheel and to go from point A to point B, to drive somewhere. If you have a car, but you never use the car to get from point A to point B, it's just a showpiece in a showroom. And it doesn't accomplish the purpose for which the car was designed. Can I just admit to you this morning, some of us Christian or like Christian showpieces? I know I'm saved, brother. I've been saved since I was 18. God's doing something. But all you're doing is sitting around like a Christian couch potato. 
That's not why God saved you. God saved you because he wanted to do something in and through you that he could only accomplish in and through you with your unique personality and your giftedness within the community of Christ so that what? Jesus would be glorified. That's why he created you. So listen to me. Barrett and Johnson released a report this week called World Christianity Trends. I know you're already sitting down. If you weren't, I would go ahead and tell you. You might want to sit down for this. Feel free to gasp in disbelief if you want to, but it's the truth. The average cost per one person baptized in a typical American church for 2022, $1.5 million to get one person born again. You say, Craig, has the formula? You take the total income of every church that receives in financial giving, you divide it by how many baptisms, and you've got $1.5 million for every person baptized. Imagine what God's heart feels. I, I, I want you to imagine when we talk about the importance of missions march. Imagine the heart of God, the amount of resource spent for one person to bow their knee, their will to Jesus Christ. He created you for good works. He didn't save you by good works, but he definitely saved you for good works. That's why you are to live in obedience to the good works. Look at John 14, verse 23 and 24. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father sent me. Church, how do you know if somebody loves Jesus? They're obedient to his word. It's that simple. It's that simple. How do you know somebody really loves the Lord? They obey his word. They're obedient. Well, I don't need to be obedient to that. I got saved by grace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did get saved by grace. But if you're filled up on the inside, you'll want to keep the word of God. If you're filled up on the inside, you want to stay obedient to Jesus' command. Now, listen to me. Nobody will mandate it for you. No one will tell you, you better, you have to, you ought. It's the person on the inside, the God man of the universe through his Holy Spirit will start speaking to you. You need to pay attention to this. This is for you. He's talking about you this morning. You need to let Christ out of you. You need to grow in Christ, right? James 2.17, we read this. Faith that is not accompanied by works is? It's dead. It's dead. Faith without works is? Dead. A lot of us, we don't like that verse. Well, it doesn't apply to me, Pastor Craig. I'm saved by grace through faith. Yeah, and if your faith is not accompanied with good works, it's a worthless faith. Listen, private faith has no power. Public faith becomes contagious. In private faith, individualization faith, individualized faith, and behind the door, it does nothing. It does nothing for the kingdom of God other than yourself. It does nothing to minister to other people. It does nothing to have good works in the life of a community or to share and showcase God's word. What good is it? What good is it to say if you're a Christian, if there's nothing coming through your life that demonstrates you are one? And God wants you to know this. God wants you to hear this this morning. Listen to me. He wants you and saved you to be an example. An example. We call this a witness. Be an example so that when people see you, whether you're a man or a woman, a child or a boy or a girl, no matter what your dreams are, no matter what your vocation is, when people see you living your life, they'll say, man, that's somebody that talks about Jesus but also lives out the principles of Jesus. That's a person that has an authentic role, as an authentic expression of what it means to follow Jesus in this 21st century world. God wants that for all of us. Amen? God wants us to be an example. We were created by him for good purposes. His good purpose for us to be an example. You say, Craig, what does it look like? How do I even get started? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus talked about greatness with his disciples. Everybody say greatness. 
And for those of us that want to be great, he tells us how to do it. You ready? This is how Jesus tells us to be great. He said the Gentiles, the secular rulers of the day, they lord their leadership over people. Very similar to how do we do it in America. Look at me, church. A non-spirit-filled man or woman will always lord leadership over people. I'm going to say that again. A non-spirit-filled leader will always lord leadership over those they serve without fail. Husbands will lord it over their wives. Wives will lord it over their husbands. Uh, parents will lord it over their kids. Kids will try to lord it over their parents. People that are in the workplaces, bosses will lord it over employees. Employers will try to lord it over other people. In the church, when you have a non-spirit-filled pastor, non-spirit-filled church, they'll try to lord it over the people. And you'll start looking at people as if you're put on earth to help you. And it's their job to make your vision correct. Listen to me. People will start looking at people in the church as if the people in the church are to help them get the vision done. Now, you, we don't look at you as using you to get our vision accomplished. You are our vision. You are our purpose as pastors to empower you for the work of ministry God's called you to. I don't use you to get my will done. No, no, that's what lording over looks like. And then what happens in the home? Well, it's my, it's my husband's job to do this. It's my wife's job to be that. That's what lording over people looks like. We've all experienced that way. And we've all led that way at times. We've all been on the receiving end of that. And it's not fun. Does anybody here want to be lorded over? No. So Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26, look at this. It's not to be that way among you. Notice this. You want to become great? Look what he says. But whoever wishes to become great, you want to become great? Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your. We call it leadership in the West. Jesus calls it servanthood. We call it leadership. He calls it servanthood. You want to be great? Find somebody to serve. You want Monday through Friday to be great this week? Go serve somebody. You want to be great in the kingdom of God this week? Go serve somebody. Get outside yourself and serve this week. You say, well, I don't know if I have the pedigree for that. The only pedigree you need is humility. You don't need the right education. You don't need the right socioeconomic background. You don't need the right gender. You don't need the right skin color. All you need to say is, listen, I totally want to be great. And Jesus said, great, go find a place to serve. Find a need, fill the need, serve. Now here's the problem. It's not this way around the world, but it is this way where we're at. For many of us Christians, we think service is an option. I'll decide if I want to serve. I'll do, it depends on what times the church calls me to serve. I'll see how they're serving. If I like the service, then I'll get involved in serving. That's an epidemic in our Western culture of the church. It's killing us. Listen to me. Listen to me with compassion. Service is not an option for a believer. It's not an option. Now, if you don't have the heart of a servant, here's how you, you know you don't have the heart of a servant. Because anytime you enter into a Christian church, you falsely think that the Christian community is about you and about what you desire. So you come into church and you're like, I don't know if I like the pastor or not. I don't know if I like the version he preaches from. I don't know if I like what he said. Those worship songs today, they went too long. Those worship songs, they went too short. I don't like that tune they sang. I didn't like the key they sang it in. And you become critical of community because you yourself are not serving it. And that's never God's intention for you. That's never God's intention for the church in Jesus Christ. When you're engaged in the service of the church, you won't be critical of it. You might have a critical mind of how it can get better, but you won't have a critical spirit because you've engaged your life into it. You'll say, how do I serve? Any way you want. You give your best time to it. Give your resource to it. Give your best gifts to it. If you want to be great, you're going to be a servant. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, whoever wishes to be first among you, 
He says, they shall be your slave. What's the difference between a servant and a slave? Well, a servant chooses when they're going to serve. A servant chooses where they're going to serve. You know what a slave does? Whatever you say, master, I'm going to do. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Slaves listen to their master, and they just do what they're told to do. You want to really be great in the kingdom of God? You have to be a slave. Can you imagine what the church in America would be like if every single person called by the name of God that attended the church had an attitude of, not what can this church do for me, not what can happen in my life today, but Lord, I'm here to be your slave. I don't care what happens to me. Use me however you want, whatever you want, wherever you want, so long as you get glory from my life, God. Even if I'm anonymous, even if my ambition has to die and nobody knows me, I just want to serve the body so we can advance the kingdom of God. Like what in the world would happen in the West? Let me tell you what would happen. Things beyond what you could ask, think, or imagine because his glorious power would be at work within us. Jesus said, you want to be great? Be a servant. Be a slave. You want to be the greatest? Be a slave. Just as the Son of Man, you're like, well, where am I going to get an example of that? Whoever lived like that? I don't see anybody living like that. Well, you did once. He says what? Give your life. Why? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Hey, Jesus, how am I going to do that? Just do what I did. Just give up your rights to yourself, Craig. Just be totally anonymous. Just find a place to serve. Serve me along. Keep doing it. Be faithful. Cry it through on the days you need to cry it through, but keep doing it. Don't worry about the results. Just be with me. Keep your identity in me. Keep your intimacy in me. Until I tell you to do the next thing, you keep doing what I told you to do. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen? Jesus is not mincing his words. He's not saying it's optional. For some of us, we're growing weary in our Christian faith. Or we're becoming sick and tired of church because instead of serving, we think we're here to be served. You're not here to be served. Now, let me be very careful on this. I want to back up just a moment. There are seasons in our life where we go through really difficult times. There are seasons in our life. I'm not talking about like, oh, I had a bad day this week. I'm talking about like I've been kicked in the gut. There's a tragedy. I've lost a loved one. My dad died. I lost my job. I just came out of a church, Pastor Craig, where I've been abused. I mean, abused men. There's just a lot not going on in my life right now. Listen, if that's you, listen to me. Don't, don't, don't mix my words. If that's you, there is a season for healing. There just is. There's a season to just sit in church and soak and hear the word of God and worship. And I've had seasons like that where I couldn't even mouth words because I cried for weeks at a time. There is a season for that. And if that's you, by all means, welcome and serve the Lord in your time, but be filled up again. Grow in your intimacy and identity. There's a season for that, but that season is not five years long. Okay? That season's not seven years long. I've told the Lord and argued with Him a lot. Lord, we've been here seven years, and you keep sending us people that need rest from ministry. Abused by other churches, you keep sending us people. You do it all the time. It's like every time I turn around, somebody else needs a time to sit, a time to rest, a time to heal. And I can't fight the Lord on that. Lord, I'm good with it. Lord, we'll continue to serve Him, but that season can't be five years, folks. It's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. It's time to be healed, to let bitterness go, to forgive and be the person God called you to be. It's time to serve because if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must serve. You want to be a slave, it's greatness in the kingdom of God. What that means is the Lord knows the timing's right for you, and you'll know the timing's right for you. So you should never feel arm twisted by a pastor or a leader. You better, you better, you better, you better. No, you know when it's right because deep down in your heart, you want to. There's a time for it. But I would also say this. If you're in this room and you're hurting today, sometimes when you go through seasons like that, 
a lot of the ministry that God's going to use to heal you is actually you using your hurts to minister to others who are hurting too. And it's oftentimes what I have found in the kingdom of God, more so anything than pastoring, is that it's, it's my broken heart, it's my broken dreams, it's my frustrations, it's my brokenness in my own life and the sin I can't seem to get a hold of that people identify more with than, hey, I'm living the life and it's great. See, we impress people with our strengths, but we impact people with our weaknesses. God don't want to use our strengths. He wants to use our weaknesses on display for His purpose. To, to tell people that there is a Savior that can continue to sustain them and continue to give them grace. Sometimes, listen, we refuse to get into community because we're afraid. And we got to wait until our life just looks perfect. If you wait until your life looks perfect, you will see Jesus Christ before you get into community. It's never going to happen. God wants you to serve. It's not optional. It's part of your the body of Christ to serve the church. You say, Pastor Craig, why are you talking about the church all the time? Well, there's way more needs in the world than just the church. Yes, there are, but can I tell you something? If you're a member of the body of Christ, the church is his bride, and it's the one vehicle he chooses to bless. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my, not nonprofit. Nonprofit could be a part of his church. Don't, don't, don't mix the words, but he said, I'll build my what? Church. It's the one vehicle God chooses to bless. Well, I don't like the church. Well, then you don't like Jesus because it's who he died for. It's as simple as that. I mean, who, who, who's able to tell a bride, I don't like your, I, you, you love the groom, but don't like the bride? Go, go tell a groom that. Go tell Jesus you don't like his church. Oh, really? I died for her. Well, churches are. Yeah, I know they are because they're full of broken people just like you. I know they are. If you're looking for the perfect church, listen, there's nothing wrong with church hopping for a season. I get it, y'all. You move to a new area, you got to find your thing. Is this a fit? Do they do this? Is this where I'm going to go? But if I spend my whole life church hopping for the perfect church, let me just save you time. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you ever find it and join it, you just blew it for everybody else that was already there. Because you ain't perfect too. So what I just tell you, just get involved and serve, right? Be a servant, be a slave, give yourself to it. When you give yourself to it, you'll care about the result, but you won't care about yourself. You'll care about what happens, and that's what God wants. He wants our heart to be about Him. And the whole Bible can be summed up in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You grow in intimacy and identity. That's who I am. And because of that, I can humble myself and do anything that the Lord would have me do. We read of Philippians 2, Jesus said, Consider others more important than yourselves. Jesus says to us today, I humbled myself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I was willing to be publicly hung on a cross and shamed for you. I allowed people to put their spikes into my hands and feet, and I hung for you. I got a place to a place that I couldn't even breathe anymore for you. I shed my blood for you. Well, Pastor Craig, I know what it looks like to serve, but Jesus would say to you today, no matter what you're doing, you're not serving like I served you. And let me just say this, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the kingdom, the church exists to build the body of Christ so that the kingdom of God can advance. Amen. And in the kingdom, watch this, there's no sideline. Everybody's on the field. Everyone's on the field. No one rides the pine in the kingdom of God. No one's on the bench. Now, I played sports growing up, and I can tell you, I played on a number of teams where I was essential to that team. Like, I was a key contributor. If I didn't show up, it would have hurt the team. But I also played on teams where I didn't, I, 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 if I didn't show up, people would be like, I didn't even know he was there. <laughs> I can tell you, I didn't like playing on teams like that. 
I like playing on teams where I'm essential. Here's what you need to know. You are Christ's ambassador as though God is making his appeal to your neighbors through you. And you are valuable to the advancement of Christ's kingdom no matter who you are. And if you spend your life running after all these different kinds of things that you think are important that are going to bring you joy, you're going to miss out on what you were created for, which is what? To serve the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you can't serve the people outside the body of Christ. If you're an evangelist and your heart just beats for the lost, go share the gospel with other people. Let it beat for the lost. Go out and share the gospel. But also, why don't you pour yourself into the people in the body of Christ and show them how to do it too? You're with me? So you can be called to the outside, but you can take what God's called you on the outside and multiply it on the inside. Because the problem is when we're not servants, we just get critical and life gets really stale. And we expect when we show up to church that chairs are just supposed to be there and kids' ministry is supposed to be hopping and youth ministry is supposed to be great and men's ministry is flourishing and women's ministry has multiple opportunities and connect groups are everywhere. Yeah, it works that way when you have servants. I've been in a lot of small groups in my life. I've been in small groups where the small group ends and I land on that Sunday and I think to myself, I can't believe I have to wait a whole nother week until I do that again. And then I've been in other small groups where it ends and I'm like, I can't believe in a week I have to go back to this thing again. You know what I'm talking about? It usually comes when you get a group of people that serve in our mission together, then community naturally happens. Some of us think community makes mission. It doesn't. Next slide. Mission forms community. If you try to get community without mission, you turn in on yourself. When you get on a common mission, community comes as a part. If you want to talk about the small groups and connect groups that work, it's because people have come together and say it's not about community. It's about the common mission. And when we get on the common mission, listen, when you go join the boot camp in the army, do they give you picnics for six weeks straight and let y'all build community and talk around? No, you get out on the battlefield and you sweat and you bleed together and you have a common mission, and instantly natural community takes place. And this is the way it is in the kingdom of God. If you get in mission and you commit your heart to other people on mission, community will flourish all around you. So it's mission that forms the community, not community forming mission. You get on mission and realize, man, my life's not my own. Then you get with people on that same mission. Friendships form. You realize it's my job to encourage others to grow into Christ. Before I was a Christian, y'all had my circle I hung out with just like all of us before we were Christians. And after becoming Christian, I started hanging out with people I'd never hung out before. Why? Because we're on the same mission for Jesus. And I had a depth of relationship with them that I never had with any of my non-Christian friends in the circle I hung out with. Look at me. If your connect group's not that good, perhaps because you think it's about you. And you think I'm there every week and I'm serving... If you think, you know what, I'm there, I'm serving. I, even though I'm not leading, I'm serving. If kids' ministry is not that good, ask yourself how much you've contributed to it. Because what I find is when I'm involved in something, I'm far less critical of it. I don't like it when people are critical of Dwelling Place Church. I can't do anything about it, but I don't like it. I don't like it when people are critical of other pastors. I have tons of pastor friends. I don't like it when people are critical of other churches because I've given my whole life to it. My wife and I, we give our money to it. I give my best energy to it. I sold my house, sold my car, and moved to a new place to give my life more to it. So does it drive me crazy when people speak bad about pastors and churches? Yeah, because I'm in it. You want to know whether or not somebody's ever praying for another person? You can never publicly criticize that which you're privately praying for. If you get around somebody and they're gossiping about a person, dead giveaway, they've never prayed for that person. You get around other people and they're criticizing the church, dead giveaway, they don't pray for that church, nor are they involved in that church. 
serving in that church. It's just the way it works. Are there perfect pastors? Nope, not any. Are there perfect churches? Nope, there's not any. Have pastors made some really dumb decisions in the last 30 years? Yes, I have too. Doesn't mean I get to hate the church, never come back. Have there been bad decisions, especially for some of you in the room? Maybe bad decisions that have hurt you in the church? People say, I was hurt by the church. Well, let me just correct your theology a little bit. You were never hurt by the church. You were hurt by the people in the church that did unchristian things to you in the church, but that doesn't mean the whole church hurts you. And God wants you to be a part of the church, and God wants you to contribute to the church, y'all. I've been hurt by people in church. Why does no one ever talk about church hurt for the pastors? It's only people who go and attend, right? It's only people who attend get church hurt. Pastors don't get I mean, I've been out for 20 years. They don't stop me from serving. I get back up here and do it again. Your pain level and tolerance has to increase drastically if you want to do something for the kingdom of God. <laughs> Folks, are y'all with me this morning? I know it's a tough word, but dear God, we've got to, in the West, come alive. We got to wake up and understand the mission God has for us. I, I've been hurt, but it's not going to stop me from serving people. Even people that hurt me, I've kept serving them. God wants you to serve Him, be a mission for Him. And too often we think it's about us. When I was a youth pastor at the age of 19, I, I was single. I got to live in a little uh, parsonage next to our church. The average age of our church before we got married was about 55 years old. And I remember they had these potlucks and spaghetti dinners and they do all this. Some of the older ladies in the church, they'd say, hey, Pastor Craig, we know you can't cook. Here's some stuff. <laughs> and you know what they do? They give you spaghetti and what? what? What does any woman give you spaghetti in? Tupperware. That's exactly right. They give you Tupperware. And then they take bread and put it in aluminum full. You know what I'm talking about? They get bread and get it up in aluminum full. And they give it to me, which is a blessing. It was awesome. But I remember one time I put it in my refrigerator. My wife wasn't there yet because I wasn't married. And I, I put the spaghetti in the Tupperware in the refrigerator, and I forgot about it for a few weeks. Well, after a few weeks, I pulled it forward. It didn't look like spaghetti anymore. It had no resemblance of spaghetti. The only thing it was good for is take it over to the garbage and dump it out, wash the dish. Can I just tell you this morning, some of us are like Tupperware dishes when it comes to our faith. We're running to the next thing, the next Sunday, the next deal, the next deal. We got to get it all. We got to store it all. And some of you are like a Tupperware dish. You have so much, it's just rotting. You have all the word of God that's been taught for you year after year, and you're just rotting on the shelf. You're not meant to be a Tupperware dish. You're meant to be a serving tray. You're meant to be walking like this. And when you have a serving tray, then you stay fresh. Why? Because, oh, Craig, if I give out what I have, then, then I won't. No, 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 that's the way the kingdom of God works. You give your two cents, God gives you two cents more. And you just walk around and you continue to serve instead of rotting and smelling and looking like something that's not like God that has changed because of your salvation. You do away with the Tupper dish. You become a serving tray and watch what God does in your life. God will continue to pour, pour, pour more oil, more anointing, more spirit, more giftedness in your life to bring you fresh stuff again and again and again. You keep serving. God pours out more. You say, I don't have much to give. Just give what you have and God will refill it. God wants you to live an abundant life, not so you can collect. God wants you to live the abundant life so that you can give. And it starts with intimacy and identity. Here's the third one. I'm going to hit this last one quickly. You need to be aware of this. We have been given a plan that God already designed. Now, most of us ask the question, what's, God, what's God's plan for my life? Rather than what's God's plan? What's this? God's plan... Let me say it this way. God made His plan in Scripture so clear that about 95% of everything God wants us to do and wants you to do is all the same. So listen to me. About 95% of all that God wants us to do is all the same for every person in this room. It's that 5% that's unique. 
Now, what does Ephesians 2.10 say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. Everything God wants you to do, he's already designed. Everything God wants you to do, the book of Ephesians continues. He tells you how to live with your mouth, not to say certain jokes, use your tongue to build people up, take off your old self, put on your new self. He tells what our hands should go after, what our feet should go after, how we should use our ears, what we should listen to, our eyes what it looks like to serve in the church. 95% of everything God would ever want you to do is explicitly spelled out in Scripture. And yet we spend all of our time on the 5% and we, we, we fret, don't we? Because that keeps us, what, inactive? Right? Yeah, that's all good and stuff, but just tell me what it is for me and I'll do it. And we're telling that to the God of the universe who laid down his life, shed his blood, died on a cross, got up from the grave so we could have life. And then we dictate to him what we should get out of that deal. You got heaven, you got a personal relationship with Jesus, hell's taken away from you, your sins are forgiven, God goes with you everywhere you go. He gives you to serve, he does all the work, he's giving you the great commission. And Matthew 28 is our work. Y'all, I find it hard-pressed to go through the New Testament and find somebody that was in the church It wasn't about the mission. Even when you see Lydia, she's a maker of purple cloths, what is she doing? She's opening up her home so the apostles can come in and teach. Everybody was about the mission. Everybody was doing something. Nobody was doing everything. Jesus is the Christ, is the only one who's fully God and fully man. You've been given some gifts, but you've been given weaknesses, which means we need each other in the body of Christ to accomplish what God wants because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand. Do you realize that you're living in 2023? And that the fact that you're in this gathering right now is that God has ordained the time and space for you to be here. And he wants you to hear these very words. And he wants you, wherever you live, that's where God wants you to serve him in whatever capacity he gives you to serve. God's word is complete when it tells us how we are to serve. And you say, well, what about that specific thing? Well, here's what I would say. Proverbs 16, 9 says, In a man's heart, he plans his course, but the Lord determines its step. The Lord will lead you if you get involved in community. That's what God wants you to understand. And because calling always comes from community, community is really, really important. In other words, if somebody says, I'm called to preach, I would say, well, who have you preached to other than your wife and kids that would say that? Who would affirm that gift? People say, I'm called to worship. Okay. Who have you led in worship where the body of Christ says that's anointed? Well, I, who in the body of Christ, I'm really good with kids. Well, who in the body of Christ has affirmed that you're really good with kids? So what happens is when we're in community, watch this, the affirmations of people and community affirm the things that are deep down in our heart that we constantly say, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. No. Whatever God's put in your heart, over time in community, what will happen is you might make comments that dismiss you from the call of God on your life, but you're going to have people around you that will affirm the gift of God on your life. Listen to me, next slide. If you're not in community, your true gifts will never get highlighted. You'll take them to the grave. But when you get in community, people will know what your gift is and your connect group leader will call it out of you. Some of you, you have the gift of hospitality and if you weren't in that connect group, they'd never have food. So you keep doing it. Some of you, you love opening up your house. People go to your house, eat your food, drink your drinks, and it makes you really happy. 
other people. They fiend the gift of hospitality. They're in your house and they're eating your food and drinking your drinks. You're like, man, I hope they're paying for that. We're going to take up an offering. Do it. Because it's not your gift. Hospitality is not your gift. And you need to be encouraged. You do have a gift. That's why when it comes to our church, I want you to get involved in serving because it's our mandate of our Lord. Now look at me, church. I want to be very clear. Come on up here, uh, Kobe. I want to tell you how I seek to pastor this community, how I'm going to continue to seek this, this, to pastor this community. I, as your pastor, am not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to lead for the next five, ten years of pastoring this community by coming and asking you personally. I'm not going to twist your arm to get involved in the kingdom of God. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to coax you to serve. How come you're not serving? That's the Lord's work to do in your heart. But if you're in here and you're that group of people that says, you know what? I hear the Lord and I know I need to serve. How do I get started? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you'll open your eyes, you'll realize there's needs all over this place. You can start with the youngest kids and go to the oldest. There's marriages that need to be served. There's singles that need to be served. There's men. There's youth. There's all sorts of stuff going on. There's certain things we do as a church we do collectively. If you have a heart, Pastor Greg, I have a heart to really see people come to Christ. They're looking for people. Well, then here's what you do. Get involved in growth phases and be a recruiter to get people to the next phase of growth phases. You can do that. This, we have young adult ministry on college campuses right now because too many college students go off and spend four years learning things that are anti-biblical and then they end up serving our world. They leave the faith. They say, well, why doesn't the, the, the church help people? Because for many people going off to college, they don't even know why they're going. I'm supposed to go. I'm 18 years old. Listen, if you don't know why you're going to college, stop it. I mean it. Go do something else. You don't know why you're going to college. Just quit it. If you're interested in learning more about young adult ministry, there's an opportunity for you to learn. Well, how do, I, how do I discover God's specific plan for my life? Well, four things you can do. The 5% part, four things. Number one, seek His face. Prayer is primary to everything. You have to become acquainted with the voice of the Lord, which comes through His word. But God also has subjective ways of speaking to us through individual circumstances. Seek His face. Number two, obey His word. When you come to a church like Dwelling Place Church or another church that preaches the word, God's going to speak to you from time to time. And my challenge is for you is to get very specific about what you need to do and go do it. Go do it. Take the word. If God speaks to you today, do it instantly. Obey it. Don't give time. Don't waste. Just do what he tells you to do. Stop wherever you are. Start putting into practice. That's what he wants from me. Seek his face. Obey his word. Here's the third one. Find out where God is working and join him. So where do you see the Spirit of God at work? Spirit of God's at all at work all over Dwelling Place Church, just so you know. That's why you're here. Join Him. Find out where He's at work and say, Lord, how can I serve with that? Pastor Craig, I don't really do anything other than pray. I wake up sometimes at 3 o'clock in the morning and I find myself praying for two hours. Guess what? You have an intercessory gift. Use it. Join the prayer team. There are people in our church that need prayer every single week. You can be on the prayer team. The things God's called you to do, chances are in your heart, you're either doing them or you're upset they're not being done as well as you could do them. Oh, I just wish the kids' ministry had more men teach. Then teach. Watch, by the way, did you know kids' ministry and youth ministry and student ministry is not women's subcontracted job? Okay? 
That's what I told the Lord this week. I want to see pictures over the next few years of men down on their crisscross applesauce in our elementary room with kids all around them teaching them the Word of God. I want to see, just get involved. Just do it. Well, it's, it's not my schedule. I know it's not your schedule. That's why you're not going to be great in the kingdom of God. You have to serve. You have to get outside yourself. It's the call of God. Well, I'm just not real good with kids. Well, sometimes kids just love being by, loved by an adult. Business owners, look at me. Whatever you're doing in the business world, you will not be remembered for once you're dead and gone, even if you cure cancer or COVID. Here's what will matter. How did you use your life in business for the Lord Jesus Christ and win other people to Him and grow them in the faith? That's what matters. That has lasting impact. That's eternal. The fourth thing is you seek His face, obey His word, find out where He's working, and fourth and final. Listen to God and listen to the affirmations of others in the body of Christ. God's going to confirm it. And if you're preaching and 100 people are asleep, that's not your gift. If you're worshiping, people are like, man, that's really tough to engage this morning. Maybe it's not your gift. But there's another gift. Some of you, you have the gift of helps. I don't know what I can do. All I can do is set up chairs. Awesome. Serve in a giving team. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Finally and fourthly, you got to keep taking steps of faith. Come on, worship team. Keep taking steps of faith to enjoy God's best. Notice how every point I gave you today was we, 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 we. We. Stretch your gift. If you have a gift of intercessory, there's ways that you can grow in prayer you don't know about yet. If you have the gift of preaching, there's ways you can grow in preaching that you don't know about yet. If you have the gift of encouragement, there's ways for you to grow encouragement that you don't know about yet. Whatever it is that God's gift you, just walk in it. Y'all know when kids start learning to walk and they fall, how we're cool with that? When a kid falls down, what do we do? We pick them back up. We tell them how great they are. We look them in the eye. Try again. But in the Christian community, why don't we do that? We fall once and we're like, I stink at this. I'm never doing that again. People told me I'm terrible. I'm done. No, no, no. You get back up and take another step. Right? People aren't going to throw you to the sideline. In his man, in his heart, a man plans the course, but the Lord directs the steps. Wherever you collect your paycheck, it's your ministry. And how you do it for the Lord is what it's all about. So listen. What a man does, what a woman does, doesn't determine whether it's sacred or secular. It's why he or she does it. And some of you have been beat up by life. As I was praying for you this week, the thought came to my mind. You remember Jonah? He's swallowed by a fish. And on the outside, it looks like the end. But he's actually being carried by God. And sometimes what happens is life can swallow us whole and it looks like the end and feels like the end. But the mystery of faith is that God uses all of that to carry us towards his purpose for us. And so right in the midst of whatever challenge and difficulty, you can say, you know what, God, you still have purpose. I pray we're all together with Jesus one day. I'll stand with you looking at Jesus. And he taps us on the shoulder and says, Dwelling Place Church, look at what you did. Dwelling Place Church, look at all the people you brought into the kingdom. Dwelling Place Church, look at the lives that were impacted because of the churches you planted. 
I want to see thousands upon thousands of people that have impacted for our ministry. Why? Because we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So God, give us that eternal perspective. Engage the missio today. Engage the mission of God. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.